Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube through video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show. Again, this is John Good, your host. This is your threat intel briefing for June 12th, 2022 to June 18th, 2022. If you're joining us on YouTube, thanks for joining us. Leave a comment in the comment section or in the chat because we are live right now. If you're joining us on a replay or podcast, thanks for watching. Either way, make sure to hit the, if you're on YouTube, make sure to subscribe and hit the bell icon and like the video. And then if you're on podcasting platform, make sure to subscribe as well and leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know how you're enjoying this. This is uh, for Saturday, June 18th right now. So a little bit early, a little bit early in the morning. First thing to do for the day. But uh, no worries, no worries. We will, we will get to it. So we're a little bit, a little bit late today, just messing with some of the uh, settings, making sure that everything was right. And uh, also, too, if you're uh, interested in interviews, we do have a few interviews that are coming up. So uh, let's see here. Let me pull up the list of upcoming interviews that I have coming up here on uh, YouTube. And again, these will be on the John Good uh, Cyber YouTube channel. But uh, let's see here. Let me pull up the list. All right. So uh, upcoming interviews that we have, we have an interview with uh, Struggle Security about ICS and how all of that, uh, and and that's industrial control systems, how that is, you know, working in ICS and securing those kind of systems. It's a pretty unique and niche um, uh, kind of area. So it'll be interesting to talk about that. Then we also have Secrets to Success and IT Support with Keptech. That's going to be on the uh, so ICS interviews on the 20th. So on Monday, the 24th, we had to reschedule with Kevtech. Uh, so that's next Friday. And then uh, we're going to, uh, we actually got to reschedule our interview with Grant Collins. We had some issues last time when we were trying to stream that interview. So that will be in July. So that's a little bit, a little bit out, but uh, about a month away or so. So definitely join us for all of that. So let me go ahead and get the first article up here. All right, so first article, Wicker Amazon's encrypted chat app has a child sex abuse problem and little is to be done to stop it. So this article says that court records show that Wicker Me has become part of a toolkit used by people who exploit children. Law enforcement and child abuse experts say that it's not taking basic safety measures. WickerMe, an encrypted messaging app owned by Amazon Web Services, has become a go-to destination for people to exchange these sexual abuse uh, images, according to court documents, online communities, law enforcement, and anti-exploitation activists. Wicker isn't the only platform that needs to be cra- uh, that needs to crack down on illegal content, but Amazon uh is doing comparatively little to proactively address the problem experts and law enforcement officials say 
attracting people who want to trade uh, trade such material because there is such uh, there is less risk of detection than in the brighter corners of the internet. So, and then it talks about Meta and Facebook. Uh, Meta reports uh, numbered in the millions in 2021. Facebook made 22 million uh, reports. Instagram made 3 million reports, and WhatsApp made 1.3 million reports. So, the big reason why I brought this article up is just because, really, in general, um, you know, whenever you're ingesting data, especially from customers, from clients, and it's a social platform, you have to be really aware what kind of data is out there. And these platforms are really struggling with this because they have to find a good way to identify this information, hopefully not encroach on people's privacy and you know, really just be aware of what they're, they're storing. And we've seen this a lot with like Instagram where um, you have a lot of these spam accounts that just are created right away, right? They're created very consistently, a bunch of them. And you always are getting these requests and you have to report them to, uh, to say that they're inappropriate or whatever. So they're relying a lot on community policing too, which you know just shows maybe they don't have a great grasp on all of it as a whole. But you know, um, definitely kind of uh, kind of concerning. Let's see here. Let me get this next article up. All right, how China's biggest influence on, uh, online influencers fell from their thrones. On June 3rd, Austin Lee, a 30-year-old live streamer with over 60 million followers on Alibaba-owned e-commerce platform uh, Taobo, abruptly cut off a stream after a tank-shaped ice cream dessert appeared on the screen. While he later posted that it was due to technical difficulties, most people understand uh, understand. It has a triggered government censors, uh, having triggered government censors, interpreted it as a reference to the anniversary of the June 4th Tiananmen Square protests and massacres. Fans and observers suspect that he may not be able, uh, able to stream again as 2021 was drawing to a close. Tebo's most and third most followed live streaming influencers, uh, Hyung Wei, known as Via Online, and Zhu Chen Hu, known as Cherry, were suddenly fined millions of dollars for tax evasion by a local tax authority in uh, Hangzhou. So, you know, just in general, as this relates to cybersecurity, because obviously, um, you know, entertainment live streaming is not necessarily the same thing, even though you're watching my channel, you're watching my live stream, but, um, you know, when you're doing business in other countries or whatever country you're doing it in, you have to abide by the laws. Uh, a country like China is definitely known for censorship and uh, trying to really control things. I mean, you know, I guess people would say that in countries like the U.S. or something like that, but it is, you know, a very different animal in a country like that. And uh, you just, you have to abide by the laws because otherwise they can just pull the plug on you and... You know, if you've spent a ton of time creating a brand or creating uh, a channel, um, you know, you can't do things that are going to be controversial. And I'm sure that's probably not the first thing that uh, these people have done. They've probably walked the line, right? And so you just have to be, you know, cognizant of that and kind of make your decision. 
as far as what you're going to do. Are you going to walk the line? Or are you going to actually, you know, really um, be very, <laughs> very cautious? Oh, uh, and then we had a question here in the chat. Are the sensors automatic or does a guy do it manually? Uh, usually with like sensor kind of stuff, <clears throat> um, you know, typically there are very, uh, there's a lot of automatic stuff. So, um, because just in general, you don't want to, um, you don't want to do a lot of manual labor. You can't, you can't manually watch millions of streamers or millions of, you know, people uh, manually. You have to bring in automation when you're doing any kind of filtering or, um, in this case, censorship. Um, but who knows if there's some kind of manual review process too. Um, you know, with like YouTube, YouTube uses a lot of automated backend kind of um, monitoring, right? And then they have some manual review kind of things that they can do as well. But whenever possible, you know, automation is leverage for sure. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Bring up this next article. Ah, uh, yes, advertisements. All right. <clears throat> so inside the Pentagon's long debate, do gamers make good soldiers? In a seven-hour Twitch stream, soldiers from the Air Force and Army fought on an unlikely battlefield, Halo Infinity, a popular first-person shooter game. Uh, over a half a million people logged on to watch the Air Force win the military's first inter-service gaming championship. Congratulations, Air Force. At the event in San Antonio, the competition and camaraderie were celebrated, but as military leaders uh, have begun to embrace gaming, it's, become, uh, with it's come with controversy. For years, gaming in the military was simply a soldier's hobby, but now it's transforming into a strategic, well-calculated initiative Many see as a means to recruit, retain, and train America's fighting force. Senior Pentagon officials have become more accepting of gaming, facing recruiting challenges and a talent pool that grew up with iPads and video game controllers. Each branch of the military now has uh, esports teams. Military sponsorships of gaming leagues are on the rise, and service members can easily flock to military-created Discord uh, channels and create uh, and chat with ten uh, with thousands of others about their love of the game, Call of Duty and Halo. So this is actually not, um, this is actually not that new. So I remember, whew, I guess it would have been like maybe 15 years ago, something like that, um, where uh, the army had, um, they had a video game that you could download for free and it was a first-person shooter. It was, you know, kind of like Call of Duty, I guess, or Counter-Strike or something like that. But it was, like, not, <laughs> not the best graphics, right? Like, it was not on the same level even as those. But um, I remember that was a big deal uh, that they were offering that. And I think that was kind of the first thing that I saw as far as video games being um, kind of being introduced into this world. But you look at it and, uh, you know, video games are being used for training. You have training simulators for like flight, uh, flight 
testing, right? Like to train pilots. And cyber is becoming, you know, a huge thing, cybersecurity. And so that really kind of lends itself, especially to our world, because, you know, typically cybersecurity people like to play games, right? Um, gamification of training is a huge thing. So like um, the, uh, so like, um, what was it? Uh, like threat gen, like uh, with Gerald Osher and, um, and that whole thing where you can kind of simulate that, you have like try hack me and hack the box and all these platforms where, you know, it's trying to use that game aspect of things because we like that. We like to be challenged. We like to play that game. Who doesn't like to win, right? Um, so I don't think that's necessarily new, but um, I think you're seeing even more of a shift and kind of a force shift too, because like they said, kind of a, a talent pool uh, shortage or talent pool issue as far as who they can pull from, right? They need to try to get these people that are really interested in the games that might not otherwise come over. So that's actually a really interesting, interesting article, I thought. All right. Moving on. So credentials for thousands of open source projects free for the taking again. Service that has helped open source developers write and test softwares leaking thousands of authentication tokens and other security sensitive secrets. Many of these leaks allow hackers to access the private accounts of developers on GitHub, Docker, AWS, and other code repositories security experts said in a new report. The availability of the third-party developer credentials from Travis CI has been an ongoing problem since 2015. Uh, tokens give anyone with access to them the ability to read or modify the code stored in repositories that distribute an untold number of ongoing software applications and code libraries. The ability to gain unauthorized access to such projects opens the possibility of supply chain attacks in which threat actors tamper with uh, malware before it's distributed to users. The attackers can leverage their ability to tamper with the app to target huge numbers of projects that rely on apps and production uh, servers. <clears throat> so um, yeah, with any kind of code authentication tokens or anything like that, I mean, you know, stuff like this has been happening too, where just Secrets or these tokens are put in like S3 buckets on AWS. And um, especially with this, you know, when you're using another source uh, or some kind of third party uh, library or package or component, um, you have to be careful with what's being leaked, right? Like I don't, I don't think this is um, really like a groundbreaking kind of thing. Uh, in the sense that it has happened before and it will happen again, I'm sure. But, you know, those tokens are just like your private keys when you're talking about uh, encryption. And once those get out, you know, you're in serious trouble because typically those have a decent amount of access to your code. Like it says, you can read or modify the code stored in the repositories. So, um, not anything super groundbreaking, but um, 
you know, definitely something to just be concerned about and aware of. All right, next article here. Bluetooth signals can be used to track smartphones, research, says research, say researchers. Researchers warn that Bluetooth signals can be used to track device owners via a unique fingerprint of the radio signal. The technique was presented via a paper presented at IEEE Security and Privacy Conference last month by researchers at the University of California, San Diego. The paper suggests that minor manufacturing imperfections in hardware are unique with each device and cause measurable distortions, which can be used as a fingerprint to track a specific device. To perform a physical layer fingerprinting attack, the attacker must be equipped with a software-defined radio sniffer, a radio receiver capable of recording raw IQ radio signals. So um, this is definitely an interesting and new kind of thing. Uh, I haven't heard about this before in other sources, so um, you know, it's definitely intriguing to me that you can get those signals, you can intercept them, and then you can actually track specific smartphones. There's obviously a lot of uses that potentially this could be used for, and depending on you know, how far away you can be to do something like this, because Bluetooth, you know, typically it's a, it's a very close proximity kind of signal. It's not sending it you know, miles down the road. So you'd have to be pretty close or have a pretty strong uh, antenna to actually be able to pick up those kind of sources. But um, nonetheless, you know, the ability to fingerprint a device uh, and track it within that specific area uh, is definitely, you know, interesting. And I'm sure that certain, uh, we'll say certain countries probably are, <laughs> you know, probably are starting to look at this because that, you know, we're not going to say which countries, but there's probably specific countries out there that are probably trying to try to figure this out, right? Um, and how to, how to get this at mass scale because they like to track people. Uh, but, um, you know, especially the, one, the countries that are very locked down, um, that, yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably all we're going to say on that. Let's see here. Yeah, I haven't used Bluetooth for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Bluetooth definitely has uses. I mean, you can hook it up to cars and do all this kind of stuff. So I guess too, that, that could be interesting too, if somehow they could um, uh, pick up on signals of like cars or like those other kind of smart devices, that would be, that'd be pretty interesting. All right, let's see here. So a uh, US defense contractor in talks to take over NSO groups hacking technology U.S. defense contractor L3 Harris is in talks to take over NSO group surveillance technology and a possible deal that would give an American company control over one of the mo world's most uh, sophisticated and controversial hacking tools. Multiple sources confirmed that discussions were centered on a sale of the Israeli company's 
for technology or code, as well as possible transfer of NSO personnel to L3 Harris. But any agreement still faces hurdles, including requiring the blessing of the U.S. and Israeli governments, which have not yet been given the green light to a deal. In a statement, a senior White House official said such a transaction, if it were to take place, raises serious counterintelligence and security concerns for the U.S. government. So, um, yeah, just acquiring code or applications or anything like that, government to government like this, uh, especially with that kind of software is, you know, obviously of concern. Um, think about this. Anytime you get software from some other source, um, you know, you have to be careful with what's in there, right? Like what kind of backdoors are in there? What kind of uh, other capabilities are in there? When you, um, yeah, I mean, when you get any kind of software, you know, what, libraries are in there and all this stuff has to be addressed because you don't want to give the developer that backdoor access or um, if they have those other capabilities in there, you don't want them reporting back to another server. And I think this is, you know, this is no different. Um, you know, we don't really necessarily know if this is gonna, gonna go through, but obviously, um, Obviously, L3 Harris is a government contractor, defense contractor. And so, you know, this is probably one to kind of watch if you're interested in this kind of stuff and you're interested in this uh, counter, um, this specific software, I guess, the surveillance technology. So, but uh, let's go to the next article. Did you ever notice on a bunch of these websites how many advertisements they have on there? My goodness. Like even just showing these articles on the screen. So if you're watching on or listening on podcasts, on YouTube, I try to show a bunch of the articles if I can. But my goodness, these websites have so many advertisements on them. Wow. Crazy. All right, United States Department of Justice will no longer prosecute ethical hackers. U.S. Department of Justice announced that last week it will not bring any charges under federal hacking laws against any security researchers and ethical hackers who act in good faith. The decision stems from a landmark 2001 ruling where the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a police officer who was charged with accepting a kickback for accessing the database uh, as a serving uh, police officer and another for violating the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, CFAA. Policy now states, good faith security research should not be charged under the CFAA. 180 degree turn, it says from the previous language. Policy imposes a specific burden of proof on prosecutors requiring that they prove the defendant was aware of the facts that made the defendant's access unauthorized at the time of the defendant's conduct. Legal speak, right? The revised guidance reinforces the uh, importance of establishing explicit permission policies and internal firewalls to protect sensitive information and uh, put would-be intruders on notice to potential access violations that could trigger criminal penalties. So when I think about this, I think about when I was studying for CCNA, you know, this came up. Because on Cisco Gear, you can put a banner on there, a warning banner when you first are trying to log in. And 
I mean, good practice, best practice, and things that you should have already been doing is having a warning banner saying like unauthorized individuals only, otherwise you will be charged, blah, 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 whatever, right? Um, obviously companies don't do it in a lot of cases because, you know, eh. but, um, you know, with helping out as far as identifying vulnerabilities and ethical hackers especially are curious, it's, you know, you could definitely get into a gray area and companies that are not accepting of that and they don't welcome, you know, suggestions, especially when you don't do something malicious. Um, you know, we've, we've seen companies try to charge people or just get charges in general with this CFAA, this Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, because that's not right. You can't, you can't do things that aren't, uh, aren't expected, right? Obviously, as an ethical hacker, you know, you should do the programs where there's specific rules, the company wants it, uh, all these kind of things come into play. But um, yeah, I mean, as far as ethical hackers, you know, if you're acting in good faith, you're apparently not going to get charged uh, with anything under that fraud act. So that's kind of nice to see. That's a, that's a change in how the government is uh, addressing this stuff, right? All right, we're gonna keep moving along here. Yeah, there's a, there's a comment in the chat that uh, says the slippery ground. Anyone now says, but it was ethical. Yeah, I think that's probably gonna, yeah, it'll be interesting. The first time that somebody, you know, tries to, um, tries to skate past that, right? <laughs> I mean, we'll see, right? So, uh, Cloudflare, Cloudflare mitigates record-breaking HTTPS DDoS attacks. Internet infrastructure firm Cloudflare says today uh, it mitigated a 26 million, 26 million requests per second denial, distributed denial of service DDoS attack, largest HTTP DDoS attack detected to date recording record-breaking attack occurred last week and targeted one of Cloudflare's customers using the free plan, not even a paid plan. Red actor behind it likely used uh, hijacked servers and virtual machines, seeing that the attacks uh, originated from cloud service providers instead of weaker internet of things, devices, IoT devices, and compromised residential internet service providers. According to Cloudflare, the attacker also used a rather small yet powerful botnet of 5,067 devices, uh, each capable of generating roughly 5,200 requests per second when peaking. I mean, that's quite a few requests, right? That's, you know, you gotta have a little bit of power behind that. But, um, you know, just from a security standpoint, from a resiliency standpoint, a service like Cloudflare, this uh, content distributed network kind of provider, um, you know, this is great to see, right? They can, uh, they can be put to the test and they can stop these attacks, right? And this was a record-breaking uh, record attack too. So, you know, as these companies are tested, how much uh, bandwidth they can resist or be resilient to uh, is just a testament to their business model and what they're doing, right? So, you know, Cloudflare has been tested. So 
that's a pretty good provider if you're looking to kind of give that resiliency or use that kind of network. Um, there's a lot of different providers that are out there that do kind of the similar thing. Uh, GoDaddy, uh, and then, you know, there's others, right? But Cloudflare is really good at what they do, and they've been really good at what they do. They've been known to be really good. And, um, you know, this just shows that, uh, that you're going to have to bring a lot more in order to take them down. But um, if you don't use one of these services, you should look into it because just from a cybersecurity resiliency standpoint, right, you don't want your content to be taken down. You want to have kind of that layer in between you that helps protect it. So let's see here. Let's look and see any other big articles. This one real quick. looking through here seeing what else I want to what else I want to go over here all right so gamers targeted on Roblox by ransomware selling decryptors on game uh, pass store new ransomware was found in the game uh, in the game Roblox and it was demanding in-game Robux as a payment in-game uh, Pass store. Roblox is an online kids game. If you're not familiar with it, and uh, there's rewards and like all kinds of stuff, but the robot Robux is that in-game currency that they use. So security researchers, malware hunter team found a new ransomware referred to as "Want to Friend Me." This ransomware impersonates the notorious uh, Ryuk ransomware, but is a variant of the Chaos ransomware. Chaos ransomware builder, which began. Uh, being sold by threat actor in June 2021 allowed wannabe criminals to create their own ransomware infection along with customized ransomware notes. So it's kind of a <laughs> kind of a drag and drop uh, ransomware builder here. Uh, and then they use the dot uh, ryuk extension on the files for the ransomware. So, you know, that's that's something that we've seen a lot with ransomware and attacks and things like that is this kind of commercialization or making it very easy to create a lot of this stuff. So from a defense standpoint, that's something you have to be aware of is some of this stuff is out there and it's very easy to create. It's very inexpensive typically. And, uh, you know, anybody can do it. We look back at tools like the ion cannon and some of this other stuff that was, you know, around for a while. And, uh, you know, 20, uh, I'm trying to think of when the Ion Cannon came out. I know it was around 20, it was out around 2014, 2013. Um, but, you know, it's been out for a little bit and tools like that where somebody can just go in and they can just hit the button and launch it, right? That's a serious concern because, 
I mean, you know, anybody can do it. The, the barrier to entry is very low. That's when we get this like script kitty kind of idea, right? Because anybody can do it. They can just go in there and run it. They don't have to know how it works. They can just uh, put in whatever and run it. And especially when it's GUI based, you know, then the barrier is even lower. So, and ransomware is a little bit more sophisticated attack in general, but uh, the ability to just use a drag and drop builder is, that's kind of not so good, right? But um, this is one article I really want to hit on. And uh, I'm not logged in here, but um, this is an article that I highly recommend that you check out and you think about. So security, le uh, let me make this bigger here so you can, bigger so you can see it here. Uh, so security leaders rank cyber priorities for 2022. So now I've included this because if you know where leaders are gonna spend money, where they're focusing at, that can help you shape your career. If you're trying to get into cybersecurity, if you're looking for your next move, where you're gonna go to, and so it's really important that you track this stuff. So three quarters of respondents expect security budgets to increase in 2022. According to the report, security leaders are focusing on a combination of traditional and new security controls, including securing cloud infrastructure and application programming interfaces, APIs. 62% said that. DevSecOps, 54%. Identity management, 41%, and data management, 40%. So you can see a lot of this DevSecOps kind of stuff and dealing with APIs is really important. Uh, there's a lot of money that's going to go into that, a lot of funding, a lot of budget, a lot of priorities. Security priorities shift depending on the size of the leader's organization. So keep that in mind, right? The size of the organization that you go to, which is pretty standard, right? Bigger organizations have more money. They have more people. They have more initiatives they need. But at enterprises with over a thousand people, cloud transformation and incident response were named top priorities. Cloud formation and incident response. <clears throat> Leaders at mid-sized organizations, so 50 to 100, uh, 50 to 1,000 employees, prioritize supply chain security and security hygiene. Okay, so supply chain security and security hygiene. So a little bit, um, <clears throat> a little bit more standard probably are using uh, managed security service providers to, uh, to, help, um, you know, to help do some of that management of those security aspects of the incident response. So those things that the bigger companies are focusing on. And then uh, small business security leaders, less than 50 employees, prioritize social engineering awareness and talent development. So make sure that, um, that those are the ones that you really, really focus on. And uh, can you put the link in the chat? Yes, I can. And also too, um, these, will, uh, these will be available later too, so. <clears throat> so that is the link to the, uh, the article I put in the chat. Uh, you will have to create an account with um, this, uh, Security Magazine, if you want to actually look at the full article because they just make you, it's free. You just have to put in your email. But um, I'm just, I just don't happen to be signed in on that. But um, it's very important that you, that you track 
you know, where leaders are looking because that's kind of tracking that industry and the, um, you know, where the industry is going, right? So from a career standpoint, if you know that, then you can plan out your next move and you can plan on what your next certification is and, um, you know, all of that stuff. So you know where you can, you know, really accelerate your career and make sure that you're aligned with what these employers are doing. And that way you can, you can get those really good jobs, right? If you're not tracking this stuff, you're just gonna go in blind and you're gonna maybe get things that employers aren't looking for. So, um, I mean, obviously like with consulting companies and things like that, you know, pen testing is still a thing. Um, but if you're looking to, you know, actually be on uh, a company's staff and not in kind of a consulting environment, or if you're looking to start a company and you wanna know where, where you should focus, right? I mean, there you go. That's where leaders are gonna spend the money. So again, cloud infrastructure, APIs, uh, DevSecOps, identity access management, um, as well as uh, instant response. So cloud instant response are basically the big ones with a little bit of development. So, let's see here. <clears throat> All right. So uh, that is it for this week as far as the articles that we're going to cover. Again, thanks for joining me. If you have questions, make sure to let me know. Let me know in the comments. And uh, as well as making sure that you check out those upcoming interview live streams that we're going to have as well. Again, we're going to have one on ICS coming up next week on Monday with Struggle Security. On uh, Friday, we're going to have one with KevTech. And uh, that'll be about IT support. And from a cybersecurity standpoint, you know, a lot of us sometimes will start in IT support. And regardless if you want to or not, you know, it's good to know how to succeed and how to advance your career through that path. Uh, and then also Grant Collins, we rescheduled for next month. So in about a month from now, we will be uh, speaking with him as well. Uh, make sure that you like, comment, and subscribe if you're on YouTube. If you are listening to this on podcast, make sure that you go ahead and you subscribe and that you leave a review as well. Let us know how we're doing. If you have any video ideas that you'd like to see me uh, create, always feel free to drop those in the comments as well. Uh, you can catch me on Discord, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, and uh, that is going to be it for today. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time.